0: It's a joy and a privilege to be gathered as forgiven saints in the presence of the Lord to remember His sacrifice for us. And as we do every week, it's also a joy to sit before the Holy Word of God with a prayerful heart and to ask the Lord to speak to us as to how we, His blood-bought children, could change our lives. Therefore, through our lives, we can please and give glory to His name. I had sent a note yesterday in the groups, and I don't know how many of you have gone through it, but if you've gone through it, it will help you better prepare for what we are to study today. Now, if you, all of you could turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians and chapter 8. Thank you, Stephen, for reading this portion of scripture. Today, we are going to look at 1 Corinthians in chapter 8. So, if you could turn your Bibles, switch on your mobile phones, and if you could all look at this passage together, we'll see what the Lord has to speak to you and to me today. 1 Corinthians and chapter Now, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 8, Apostle Paul is answering a very important question that was asked by the Corinth assembly. There was a, a problem that was there in the church, a predicament that they were going through, and then as a result of which Apostle Paul is trying to answer the question. The question is in relation to food offered to idols. Now, here was the problem. Now, the Greek and Roman culture suggested that during their festivals whenever they would come together they would go and buy meat this was meat that they would offer in front of their idols and after they offered in front of their idols they would prepare and they would eat this food now what happened was the food or the meat that was remaining the food or the meat offered in front of the idols that meat was sold at the marketplace remember this was meat offered to idols Sold at the marketplace. Now, at the marketplace, the common people, the believers, the common people would come and buy this meat. And therefore, they asked this question was it all right to buy meat that was offered to idols? Was it all right to cook this meat and eat? Again, food that was first offered to the idols. Now, To put it to the modern context, it would be like for us to go to our friend's festival. You understand what I'm trying to say? You go to their festival and you know what happens at that festival. They have their sweets. They have their food. They have all of those those rich food that is placed in front of us. And these are food that they probably offered in front of their idols. Now, is it all right for a born-again believer to participate or eat of such a food? That was the question that Apostle Paul was asked by the church believers at Corinth. And therefore, I've entitled my sermon today, The Weak and the Strong. Listen to me very carefully. The Weak and the Strong. And I believe the context of chapter 8 is found in verses 9. So if you look at your Bibles in chapter 8 and verses 9, the context of this chapter is verse 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. That is the context in which he answers that question. If you also just turn with me to chapter 6, I'd like to read a verse for you. We had already studied this verse, chapter 6 and verse 12. It says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. You know, all of us, we have the freedom to do whatever we want to do in the church. All of us, we have the freedom to do whatever we want to do in the church. But everything I do necessarily does not benefit the church. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. You and I have the freedom to come and behave and do whatever we want to do in God's assembly... But everything we do necessarily does not, does not help or benefit the church. And that's why in chapter 8 and verses 9 he says, Let not your freedom become a stumbling block for the weak. That means you and I have the freedom in how we treat one another. You and I have the freedom in how we treat brothers and sisters in the Lord. And therefore we need to be careful... As to how we treat those that are weak in their faith. You and I need to be very careful in how you and I treat each other in our spiritual walk. We should be careful and aware of those that are there in the assembly that might be weak in their faith. You know brothers and sisters let me say it in this way. All of us don't possess the same spiritual maturity. You agree with me? Yes or no? We are not possessing, all, all of us don't possess the same spiritual majority. We all don't have the same wavelength. There are some of us who are spiritually strong. There are some of us who are spiritually weak. There are some of us who might understand better. There might be some of us who might take a little longer to grasp. That's why I've entitled my sermon, The Weak and the Strong. Because every church of God contains people who are spiritually strong, And those who are not that strong. That's why Apostle Paul uses the word the weak. But let me pause there for a minute and let me ask all of us an important question. What does he mean by those who are weak? Who is he referring to when he talks about those who are weak? Now let me clarify that the word weak here is not a reference to backsliders. It's not talking about those who who are backsliding in their faith. No, that is not the weak people. Now to get a better picture of those who are weak in their faith, turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 14 and 15. I hope you had the time to go through these two chapters because these two chapters best explains the person who's weak in their faith. Romans chapter 14 and verse 15. So when you read these two chapters, we can explain or understand that those who are weak in their faith can be considered can be considered to those people who are probably infants in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They're still babes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, they've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're still growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Like you read in the other epistles of Apostle Paul, they are the ones who are yet not ready to eat the meat. They are the ones who still drink the spiritual milk. They are the ones who are just growing in their their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So probably it's a reference to someone who fully does not understand every doctrine of the Bible. They don't fully comprehend every sermon that is being preached. They cannot fully understand the teachings that are there from scripture. Now what happens to such a person? Therefore, we say, a person who is weak in their faith is someone who finds it difficult to distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. That is the reason why when these infants, when these, when these Christians, when they come to church and when they see different people's actions, when they see different people's behavior, when they see different people's speech, they get confused. Is this allowed? Can we do such and such a thing? Am I making sense? They are the ones that we consider the weak in the church of God. And we as born again believers, as an assembly, as Calvary Bible Fellowship, need to be aware of those who are weak. Now, I I don't want to use the word weak, so I I want to replace it with the word those who are spiritually dry. Those that are not spiritually empty, but those that are spiritually dry those that could probably help with a little bit of watering. You know, somebody once went up to D.L. Moody and asked him, why is it that your sermons most of the time contain the topic of being filled by the Spirit? Somebody went and asked him and said, whenever you speak, why do you always talk about being filled with the Spirit? He said, that's because sometimes I leak. Sometimes I leak. So brothers and sisters, how can I, in the first instance, understand Whether I'm spiritually dry? How do I know if I am one among those that are weak that Apostle Paul actually talks of? If you and I are in agreement that our wavelength, our spiritual life is so different from each other, how is it that you and I can understand if we are a brother or a sister who is going through moments of spiritual dryness? Let me ask you some questions. Uh, Sorry, let's ask ourselves some questions. Number one, listen to me very carefully. Does my service to God flow out of duty or motivation? Ask us, let's ask ourselves that question. Now, when I speak in church, when I'm part of the setup team, when I'm a Sunday school teacher, whatever I do as a brother and sister, does my service in Calvary Bible Fellowship, irrespective of what I do, do I do it out of duty or do I do it out of motivation? Let's ask ourselves that. Another question that I would like us to think about, is my spiritual life contagious? If I have a fever, I'm 100% sure that the people I sit next to will get my fever. And I believe that's the same thing of a spiritual person. Is my spiritual life contagious? Am I affecting people in church with my service to the Lord? Am I affecting people in my church with my commitment to the Lord? Are there people in church who look up to me and say, I want to be like that brother or that sister in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is my spiritual life contagious? Does God feel distant to me? The last one week in our work, in our studies, in our ministry, do I suddenly feel that God is very distant to me? And as a result of which, the last question, has negative thoughts started to fill my mind? Have negative thoughts started to fill my mind? Brothers and sisters, if there's any of you who's struggling with spiritual dryness right now, I don't want you to be discouraged. This is the place for you. If you are going through moments of spiritual dryness, if you are going through moments where you feel God is very distant from you, if you are going through moments where you feel that you are not contagious enough, don't be discouraged. This is the right place for you. The church is the place where you will feel safe. The church is the place where you will feel loved you will feel cared for. Why? Because this is the place where the people of God are. This is the place where your spiritual need will be met. Let me tell you. This is the place where we as a church can pray. We can help you in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my desire is that you would not look for that source of comfort outside, but you would find that source within the church itself. This is the place where we as an assembly can help you In your personal walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now come back to 1 Corinthians in chapter chapter 8. And can I give you quickly for the next few minutes. Three distinct essential characters. That you and I need to possess. In chapter 8. Three essential characters. That you and I need to possess. As a born again believer. Number one. Listen very carefully to me. Verses 1 to 3. Love not knowledge, should be my priority. Okay? Listen to me carefully. Love, not knowledge, needs to be my priority. Can I read for you chapter 8, verses 1 to 3? Now about food offered to uh, sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. You look at the word knowledge there, knowledge there simply means understanding. The word knowledge in that context actually refers to spiritual knowledge. Knowledge means the understanding that a person has about God, about the things of God, about God's church, about God's plan and purpose. Now just to explain that a little bit more, you look at, look at chapter 1 and verses 5, First Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 5. Okay, For in him you have been enriched in every way in, your, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. I praise and I thank God, Apostle Paul says. That I, that I give glory to God that this is an assembly. These are saints that have the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They possess the understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are aware of all the spiritual truths that are there in the word. But Apostle Paul in chapter 8, he says, knowledge in itself is not enough. Why? Because you read very, uh, verse 1 very carefully, it says, knowledge is something that puffs up. It creates pride in a person. And that is true, and I don't know if you've ever gone through, but I can see that I have. Many a times, because of the knowledge that we have in scripture, many a times, because I might think that there might be people that I am much more spiritually mature than, it could arise a sense of pride in us. And it says, knowledge puffs up. It makes people proud. You know, let me tell you in this way, knowledge in itself could sometime destroy. And that's the reason why, if you look at that verse very carefully, knowledge and love needs to go hand in hand. hand. Knowledge and love should be like the two sides of the same coin. It is not enough that you and I stand here. It is not enough that you and I behave with our brothers and our sisters. And we say that we know a lot of stuff. But it is also important that we use that knowledge to practice that in our Christian life. So that our knowledge is captivated by the attitude of love. So that the understanding that I have of the scriptures is demonstrated every single day through my attitude of love. Knowledge puffs up, it says, but love is the one that builds. That means sometimes knowledge can destroy. Sometimes knowledge can break down. Sometimes because I know a lot of stuff, I might judge. I might look down. I might not become patient. But love in itself would allow me to become patient. And show the right attitude that Christ actually wants me to show. You look at what it continues to say. But the man who loves God is known By God, You know, knowledge in another sense allows us to understand what the scripture teaches. Knowledge in itself allows us to understand who God is, what is his character, and therefore how I need to apply that character in my Christian life. We had spoken about this earlier, but I want to just restate that again. You know that verse in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, right? Can we all say that verse together? 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, a little more louder, for love is... Of God, and everyone that loveth, he is born of God, and he knows God. He that loveth not, he does not know God, because God is is love. That's what it means. I know God, I know the character of God. Not only that, I'm motivated by the attitude of love so much so, that because God is love, I'm also able to love everybody that is there in this church. I'm able to demonstrate that love through my Christian life. If I'm not able to do that, all that I'm doing, what Apostle Paul says in chapter 13, the chapter of love, is that I'm like a clanging cymbal. That I can make a lot of noise here, I can make a lot of points here, I can say a lot of illustration. I could probably use a lot of language, quote a lot of verses, but at the end of the day, to my church, my audience, I will sound like nothing else but a clanging cymbal. But rather, he says, born-again believers... It is not enough for us to show our church that we know, but it is important that we show our church that we know how to love as well. I'm sure you've heard of the statement that somebody made when they said that nobody cares how much you know, nobody cares how much you know unless they know how much you, that you care. Nobody really cares how much you know unless they know how much you really care. And brothers and sisters, there might be some amongst us who are weak in their walk with the Lord. And I believe that the Lord is speaking to us as an assembly and telling us that it is good that we know the scriptures. But it is even far better that we demonstrate that knowledge that we have through an attitude of love. So are there people here that we treat on the basis of our knowledge or are we patient with them that along with our knowledge of the scriptures, along with our understanding, that we are also able to demonstrate to them with an attitude of love? Because love, not knowledge, should be my priority. Am I making sense? Yes or no? Number two, listen to me carefully. Not only really does he talk about knowledge and love, but he also talks about God and idols. And my second point is, God, not idols, should be to get the preeminence. God, not idols, should get the preeminence. Let me read to you verses 4 and 6, 4 to 6. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods whether in heaven or on earth as indeed there are many gods and many lords yet for us there is but one god the father from whom there is the father from whom all things came and for whom we live there is but one lord jesus christ through whom all things came and through whom we live now the now the uh, the question is answered very simply over there. There is absolutely nothing wrong in eating that food, brothers and sisters. He tells Apostle Paul, there's nothing wrong in going to the marketplace and buying it. But so, but but but, oh, but wasn't that food offered to the idols? Yes, but for us, an idol is absolutely nothing. An idol absolutely makes no sense. An idol has no significance in the life of a born-again believer. Therefore, the food that we eat is nothing but food for our physical body. So in the sense, Apostle Paul is telling for us in our modern context, when you go to your friend's place, when you go to your friend's festival, and even if they offer you a sweet, even if they offer you food, even if they say that they've offered it to an idol, it's okay for us to participate because for us, the significance is not the idols but we clearly believe that there is only one louder there is only one you know an idol is just a created object yes an idol is just an image an idol is probably a picture that we place on a wall or an idol is probably just just a, a, a significance that certain people of this world use so that in their relationship with the lord they feel in, in towards god they feel closer to a god but to us, an idol has absolutely no significance. And it's so amazing, I, I, I can't remember, I think Ajit was the one when he was sharing the opening exhortation, he quoted from First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 26. All the nations, all the gods of the nations are, are idols. But isn't it a blessed thing that when we gather together on Sunday, we gather to worship the one God. You remember in Psalm 115, you don't have to turn there where it talks about (coughs) idols. The psalmist talks about the idols where he says, the idols have ears, but they cannot, they cannot hear. They have eyes, but they cannot, you know, they, they, they can, they have hands, but they cannot do anything. The idols are basically image created by man in itself and therefore has no significance. And therefore you and I as born again believers have nothing to worry when it comes to idols. There is absolutely nothing wrong in that. But you know what? It is not the idols, but it is God who gets the preeminence. You look at that verse, it's a beautiful verse. Verse 6, it says, Yet for us, there is but one God, The father from whom all things came and for whom we live. In the sense, he is one in the sense that there is no equal to this God. God has no competition. From beginning in itself, God was the only one. We know as it says in the book of Genesis chapter 1 verses 1, In the beginning, can you complete it for me? In the beginning, God created The heavens and the earth, which talks about the beginning of time. And even before the beginning of time, God already existed. Because God is out of time. God was the one through whom all things came. That's why if you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4, we know this also very well. The people of Israel would every single day, three times, Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, they would say, Hear O Israel, we believe, we know that the Lord our God, the Lord is Our Yahweh is only one. And when it says in verse 6 that through him all things came, it talks about the fact that God is the creator. He was the one who created the sun, the moon, the stars, all the planets. God is the one who, who, who made all the stars. And he knows the stars by its numbers, by its name, the scripture says. God is the one who created you and me in his own image, in his own likeness. God was the one through whom everything came into its existence. In Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3, this awesome God who created the entire universe, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God made a garden called the Garden of Eden and in in that garden, he established man to live in a relationship with God forever and ever. But that story did not turn out well because one day man took of the fruit, he ate of it, and as a result of his disobedience, sin entered into the whole, whole world. The book of Romans chapter 3 verse 23 very clearly states that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As a result of the sin of one man, you and me, all of us were born as sinners. And because of sin... Anybody born in sin, anybody living in sin, anybody who dies in sin will one day go to eternal damnation. And that is you and that is me. But verse 6 does not end over there. It says, yet for us there is but one God the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things came and through whom we live. You look at that. When God created the entire universe, God was demonstrated for us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only was Jesus the agent of creation, but Jesus Christ is the agent for salvation. When man was born in sin, when man was living in sin, and if they were to die and go to eternal damnation, Christ came into this world to pay for the sins of the entire world. So that you and I could have a blessed hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me remind you in this way. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that we've come to worship on Sunday morning. Yes or no? That's what this table reminds us. His body broken for wretched sinners like us. His blood shed for wretched sinners like you and me. So that you and I can have eternal life in heaven. And you know what my brothers and sisters. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who even weakens. Those who are weak. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who gives strength. Sorry, not weakens the weak. So, It is the Lord Jesus Christ who gives strength to those who are weak. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who promises grace to those who are repentive And are willing to approach his throne. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who alone can give you every answer for the questions that you seek in your Christian life. If you would turn your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter forty. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29. You look at what it says there. Can somebody read that verse for me? Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 29. Okay. Okay, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And I'm sure there might be some of you listening to me today who might be going through this. But you can make sense of what I'm reading to you right now. If you are going through moments of weakness, my brothers and sisters, in your spiritual life, can I uh, can I, can I encourage you to turn your attention to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because it is He who gives strength to the weary. He is the only one who can allow your, your weakness to be turned into strength. When the Lord Jesus Christ made the entire universe and when he paid the price for your sins on the cross of calvary the lord jesus christ also promises to not to never allow you to walk alone he will walk with you he will be with you till you reach the presence of god and he is the one who will give you the source of grace and strength that you need we have nothing to worry about the idols that are there in this world because you know what it is god and not the idols who should get the preeminence Number one, love, not knowledge, needs to be my priority. Number two, God, not the idols, should get the preeminence. And number three, listen to me carefully. My brother's spiritual growth, not my ego, should be my purpose. Let me say that again. My brother's spiritual growth, not my ego, should be my purpose. Come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And you see verses, a, uh, verses 9 to 13, this is what it's talking about. Let me read to you verses 9 to 13. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you, sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ has died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. Now, what does he mean? Remember what I told you earlier. Apostle Paul says there's nothing wrong in eating food offered to idols because idols does not make any sense. But when I come into the church, I need to understand that my sister, my brother is my purpose. ...their spiritual growth is of utmost purpose to me. Now for me, eating food offers to idols, it won't make any sense. It won't affect me in any way. But it might cause a misunderstanding to somebody in my church. Therefore, because my ego is not my purpose... ...therefore because I think I know better than you... ...that my understanding is enough in itself... ...no, that's not what I consider. I consider my spiritual brother's growth in the Lord much more greater... And therefore, for the sake of those who are weak in my church, I will forget eating the meat. Does that make sense? Now, you and I can think of it in any other way. Our behavior, the way we dress. Probably you and I might think, so what if I dress in a particular way? This is okay with me, but for certain people, it might prick their conscience. It might make them doubt. Therefore, just to be very sure and careful that I do not hurt anybody's conscience, I will never dress. I will never behave, I will never say or do anything that would cause confusion in anybody's mind. We must therefore be very careful not to become stumbling block for others in their walk with the Lord. Now why should you and I do that? It says that very very clearly in verse 12 and 13, When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Like I said, let me say that again. In our minds, because we think that we are spiritually mature, we might think there's nothing wrong. So what? Maybe I should teach my brothers and sisters to think that way. No. No. That's not the reason why God has placed us here. It's so that I will make you think the way I want you to think. No. But I will be careful. So in the way I behave, in the way I physically appear when I come to church, when the way I behave not at the pulpit, but outside of the pulpit, during the week, in how my commitment is to the Lord Jesus Christ. I will never cause anybody in the church. To have any doubt in their mind. In their conscience. In their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because my brother's spiritual growth. Not my ego. Is my purpose in the church. I will be careful. Verse 13. Therefore if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin. I will never eat meat again. So that I will not cause him to fall. Now, you and I could apply this in our modern context in however way, in terms of our dressing, in terms of our speech, in terms of how we spend our money. No matter what we do, you and I will be very careful when we behave in the church. You know why? Because I might, in my knowledge, in my understanding, think that it is not wrong. But probably there might be some who might not fully comprehend or understand. And for their sake, for their sake and for their spiritual betterment, I will give up all that I think and be very careful in how I behave in the church of God. So you see what Apostle Paul really talks of in 1 Corinthians chapter 8? It's a very simple chapter, right? When he talks about idols, and when he talks about food that is offered to idols, and eating food that is offered to idols, you look at the content of the message that he gives you. While he answers that question, the real thing that he's talking about is our attitude. Towards our brothers and sisters in the Lord. You agree with me? That's the attitude that he's, he's, he's hinting at. The attitude. He's saying there's nothing wrong in eating food offered to idols. But brothers and sisters, come to the church. How do you treat people in the church? If you come across a brother and a sister who is weak, how do you behave with them? Do you look down on them? Just because they don't have the same spiritual maturity as you? No, that is not what you should do. Because when you do that, you sin against Christ. But rather you and I need to be careful and be patient with one another. Knowing that everybody watches us. That if we stand here and if we talk about love, I should be able to demonstrate love. If I talk about commitment, I should show my commitment to everything I do in Calvary Bible Fellowship. That if I talk about the importance of anything in the church, I should be able to show that that importance is there in my life first before I do anything else in the church. Because I should not be a stumbling block for anyone that when they come to church, they see me saying one thing and doing something else. They see me talking about commitment, but I'm not there for any of the meetings during the week. They talk about giving unto the Lord, but my giving happens only once in a year. They talk about prioritizing for the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm not there to prioritize. I have other things to do, and I'm so busy that I don't have time for the Lord or for his flock. And when we do that to our weak brother or our weak sister, and when we affect their conscience, we sin against Christ. And therefore, for their sake, I will give up all that I need to. So what's the lesson that you and I will learn from 1 Corinthians chapter 8? Can I give you three simple principles? If you turn with me to Romans chapter 14 and 15. And as I had reminded you, Romans chapter 14 and 15 Talks about the weak brother. And therefore, three simple principles that I just want to give to you quickly. Romans chapter 14 and 15. Very fast. Number one, Romans chapter 14 verses 1. I will not judge. Look at what it says, chapter 14 verses 1. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. I will not judge. There might be things that you and I might disagree with. There might be things that you and I might be not on the same page with. But you know what? Henceforth, I will never change you for the sake of accepting what I accept. I will accept you the way you are, my brother, my sister. And I will make sure that I will never judge you for your views and for your opinions. Yes? Number two, Romans chapter 14, verse 13. Not only will I not judge, I will not become a stumbling block. Chapter 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. You know the word put an obstacle simply means to put out your leg so that when your brother walks, he trips and he falls. That's the meaning of the words there in the original language. That from henceforth, I will make it my priority, my objective, that I will never put out my leg in any way and allow my brother and my sister to fall. I will not. Put an obstacle in your path, in your spiritual growth. Number three, Romans chapter 15 verses 1. I will not be self-centered. Look at chapter 15 verse 1. We who are weak ought to bear with the failings of the weak. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. I am not in church so that i can only spiritually grow but i'm here in my church so that i can help you grow now let me just add one more thing in 1st corinthians chapter 8 we spoke about the weak brother apostle paul in no way listen to me carefully apostle paul in no way grants a license to the weak brother and keep and, and allows him to say i am weak therefore everybody should accept me for who i am no that's not what it says Apostle Paul never gives a license to the weak brother or the weak sister and says, because of your weakness, you be the way you are. That's not what he's saying. He's also not saying that we who are spiritual, we who are strong, should change everything in us for the sake of the weak brother and sister. But through patience, teaching, discipline, discipleship, we must change the attitude of those that are in and around us, those who are weak in their faith. Does that make sense? Let us not therefore become quiet and say, I am weak, this is who I am. No, but let us become strong. Let us encourage one another that we do not stay in our weakness, but rather we move from here unto where the Lord wants us to reach. Those of us who are mature need to reach out to those who are weak. We need to tell them, this is not right, brother. This is not right, sister. You need to grow in your relationship with the Lord. It's not a license for us, brothers and sisters. But it's also the Lord telling us that every seed that is planted by the Lord into the ground must bear fruit. And therefore, till that time happens, we need to be patient with one another and learn to accept each other for who they actually are. Learn to accept each other for who they actually are. If you and I were to pass judgment, if you and I were to pass Rules and regulations. Imagine what the Lord Jesus had to do for you and for me. Yes? Because the scriptures very clearly states that when we were still sinners, Christ died. When we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And all of us who were once ungodly, can you raise your hand? And that is you and for me. And was God not patient with you and me? So much so that when we were in our sin, when we were lost and in darkness... The Lord sent his only begotten son to die for wretched sinners like us. So that anybody who realizes that they are sinners can take a moment and look at the cross. And when they look at the cross, the word of God very clearly teaches that those who look to the cross with a heart of forgiveness and openness, and if you understand that the Lord loves you so much, the Lord died for your sins on the cross, that anybody who's willing to ask the Lord for their forgiveness of their sins will receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal savior. And if there is any of my friends sitting here who's listening to this message for the first time, or probably we heard this message so many times that you've never realized that you are a child of God. If you've realized that there is a God who truly loves you, if you've realized that there is a God who died for your sins on the cross of Calvary, and if you've never asked the Lord, to, Lord Jesus into your heart, can I ask you for one minute, open your heart and receive the Lord. How can you do that wherever you are sitting? All you need to do is just for a minute, close your eyes and open your heart tell the lord jesus lord i know i acknowledge that i am a sinner i believe that you died on the cross for my sin i believe that you gave the price for a wretched sinner like me the bible very clearly states to those who call upon the lord to them he has given them the privilege to be called his children and to all of us who are born again believers can i encourage you do you feel that you are spiritually weak are you going through moments of dryness can i ask you can i can i ask you to re surrender your life to the lord would you come into the presence of the Lord and recommit your life and tell him, Lord, I do, not, I do not want to be weak. I do not want to remain in this place that I am in right now. I want to grow in my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of us who think that we are spiritually mature and strong, can we ask the Lord for a heart of humility? Can we ask the Lord that our knowledge would not puff us up, that we would not consider ourselves to be better? But rather the Lord has placed us here with that knowledge, not to help ourselves, but to help each other in their relationship with the Lord. No matter what your status, no matter what is your prayer in your heart, God understands, God listens, and God will answer. Shall we all pray? And as you close your eyes, and before I pray and close, and as you close your eyes there, if you're still opening your eyes, please close your eyes. And the reason I'm asking you to close your eyes is so that you would examine your life. And as you close your eyes, you will not be distracted by anything else that's happening in and around you, but that you would examine your life in the light of what we heard right now. My dear friend, my brother, my sister, I do not know the spiritual state that you are in. If you've been going through moments of weakness, do not be discouraged. This is the place for you. The Lord Jesus Christ gives strength to the weary. weary. And would you at this moment pray and ask the Lord to give you strength. My brothers and sisters, if any of us have realized that we are going through moments of pride. Can we break down, humble our hearts before the Lord? Can we ask the Lord, Lord, we've unnecessarily puffed ourselves up with our understanding, and Lord, would you clothe us with humility? If, my friend, you've realized that you are a sinner, that you've never asked the Lord Jesus into your heart, would you open your heart and ask the Lord Jesus to come into your heart? I'm going to pray and close, but before I do, I'll give you a few seconds to pray whatever is there in your heart. Place it before the Lord, and then we will pray, and we will close. Our gracious God, a loving and a living heavenly Father, we are grateful, thankful and joyful for this wonderful message that you have given to us that allows us to understand how worthless we are and yet you received us, Father. Not because of what we have done or we can do, simply because you are love. God is love and God loved us and God sent us his only begotten son and thank you that we could remember your sacrifice for us and thank you that you reminded us from scripture that just as how you loved us we need to be patient with one another. Lord we are weak Lord we admit it we have a lot of ego we have a lot of pride. We come before your presence and we pray that you break our hearts, that we would never judge anybody. We would never put our foot out and be happy when we see a brother and a sister fall and we would never be self-centered. But Lord, at every moment of our life, that this, this limited knowledge that you've given us would always be surrounded with that attitude of love. That I would always talk with love, Father. I would behave in love. That people would not call me a hypocrite, Father, but that they would understand. My relationship with the Lord is genuine. They would never say that I am a fake Christian. Thank you that we can approach your throne of grace and know that we will receive from you whatever we ask. And we pray that you would give us the grace that we need during this week. Father, if you are to return today, what a joy. Because we spend the morning together and now we will spend eternity with each other. But if you are to tarry for one more day, one more week, we pray every moment of our life, We would live in the understanding of what we heard in the scriptures today. Take all the glory, the praise and the honor because there is no one else worthy to receive it except for you. And all of this we ask in the name of our soon coming Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ.